Thanks, Emily, for leading us in worship today. It's a glorious day outside today when we're recording. Anyways, it feels like spring, which is always good. Nice to get a little bit of warmth and sunshine in the air. Today is a final message in this whole series called The Defense Rests. And uh, I, I'd like to talk about how I came up with this title because, you know, I'm sure sometimes you wonder where did King get this crazy idea. Several months ago, I found myself in a situation where I was basically judged in an area of my life and my ministry that's very, very important to me. I take my calling very seriously, and this kind of went after that. When stuff like that happens, I find myself, I go into defensive mode. So I don't know if you remember the image of the snake, the coiled rattlesnake, you know, ready to strike, all coiled up, tense, ready to, ready to nail somebody. Anybody ever been there besides me? Of course you can. I can't see your hands, but I know you have. When you're in defensive mode, you see, you kind of unleash the junkyard dogs, you put up the barbed wire, you know, and, and everything like that. And in your mind, you sift through, you know, whatever the things that you see as accusations and as judgments, and, and you go into defense mode. The problem is that this disrupts your sleep, at least it does mine. You know, I go to bed, you know, and instead of, you know, finding myself, you know, hearing a lullaby, you know, I'm, I'm in the courtroom, you know, instead of finding Mr. Rogers, I find Judge Judy. And so, you know, you just go after it, you know, you putting up this brilliant defense, and if you only knew, and if you only realized, and you know, and you go on and on and on. And one day, like, what happens is it steals your sleep. It kind of wrecks you, you know, on any given day, you find yourself preoccupied with it. And I finally got to a point where I just said to myself, the defense rests. The defense rests. And it kind of stuck. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, what if that happened? I found that I'd have to repeat that self to my, to, to repeat that to myself, because I'd you know go back into courtroom mode and I have to say, can the defense rest? The defense rests. Now here's the deal. I mean, I've been there before, and I'm guessing that you have been too. The hardest thing uh, that I find when I'm in there is that I have to listen, like actually listen to what people say, listen to what the criticism actually is, okay? Because it's important for you to listen to it instead of just reacting to it. But instead of just listening, see, people are going to put, you know, all kinds of labels on you. You go through life, you know, you'll find somebody put a, you know, you look shabby, you look disheveled, you know, you're dumb, you're fat, you're lazy, you're bald, you know, and so on. And what you have to do is you listen but you have to peel off the labels and make sure that they don't, they're not sticking in the middle of your forehead, you know, because if you don't peel off the labels, then, well, it can wreck you, and you can judge yourself, and you can sit in that defense seat. Now, the truth is that people like to judge. Heck, we like to judge. I've done it, and so have you. Why? I mean, what is the big deal about judging? Well, judging, when we judge other people, it kind of implies that we have superior taste to them, that we're a little bit better than them, you know, and that's precisely the problem. You see, to judge someone means that you have to put yourself above them, and then they become the lowly peon, you know, that you're actually judging. It's dangerous to sit in the seat of the judge. It really is, and that's what Jesus points out. But it's also dangerous in this little chair to sit in the seat of the defense, the accused, the judged. See, if you sit here in this seat for very long, something happens to your soul. 
you begin to take into your heart, you begin to take into your mind what's been said, and something happens over time that can actually twist and actually pervert your, your life. Now, to understand Jesus' words, you have to understand that he came from a, a culture, basically a religious system, where they had religious lawyers, Pharisees, scribes, you know, all these people that saw themselves as basically being responsible for keeping people in line. And they wanted to keep Jesus in line too, except for the fact that he's the Son of God, okay? So you don't tell the Son of God what to do. By the way, uh, religious people have a tendency to judge other people. And I'm telling you, first of all, it wasn't what Jesus did. Secondly, it just drives people away from God. It just drives them away. They think, I don't want anything to do with them or with them. And that's why Jesus said, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So it's not like this could happen theoretically. It's like this will happen. And, you know, again, my amazing artwork, and this is how I came up with it, okay? So, you know, you get somebody, you're just going on and on. You know, why can't they? And why don't you? You know, and you're throwing out this judgment, and Jesus is saying, Man, this thing is coming back for you like a heat-seeking missile. You will get judged. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, how many of you think that what Jesus says here in this passage, do not judge others and you will not be judged, that that's just mysterious? Like we need to parse the Greek, you know, we need to figure out what it is. It's all so fuzzy and unclear, right? I mean, you can parse the Greek. The word that's used for judge is krinos, which basically is the root for, word for critical or to criticize, we all understand that. I mean, we've all met at least one critical person. But this isn't that hard to understand. It's really not that hard to understand. And it's not hard to understand why Jesus deals with it and talks to it so sternly. I mean, you think about judging, you know. Is judging about loving God? Well, no. First of all, he said not to do it. Secondly, he's the judge. Is it about loving others? I mean, do you feel loved when somebody judges you? No, it's not about that then that leaves loving me. It makes me feel superior. It makes me feel bigger than I really am. It makes me feel better than I really am. And the problem is that that is called pride, which is why we do it. Now, we release the junkyard dogs when other people go after us because we're thinking to them, you know, ourselves, well, who do you think you are, you know? And, and unfortunately, what happens, that creates kind of this reaction in us. It's the coiled rattlesnake, you know? Like, you strike me, you hurt me, and man, I am going to sink my fangs into your leg, and you're going to wish that you hadn't messed with me. So Jesus talks about it several times, and, he, and in this next uh, passage, basically in Luke 37, he kind of gives some correction to it. And he says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Basically the same thing. And in this, forgive others and you'll be forgiven. In this quote, Jesus gives the alternative. Jesus gives the antidote, the anti-venom, okay? So we're going to talk more about that later. Now here's the question. If Jesus specifically said, don't do this, don't judge, why would we think it's okay? Well, it appeals to so many other 
parts of us, but it appeals basically to our pride. See, if we judge other people as being less capable and less discriminating and less talented and less biblical and less pleasing to God and and less intelligent, it makes us feel superior. Now, we love feeling superior, right, to other people. Now, there are some other factors that figure into this, okay? There are some of you, I suspect, who are listening, and part of your job is actually you have to make a judgment call, okay? If you're a teacher, you have to judge your students, and sometimes, I mean, at some point, you have to give them grades, right? Uh, if you're a judge in a court or a lawyer, you have to make some kind of a judgment call on that. If you're a policeman, you have to, you know, basically make a call on somebody speeding or going through a stop sign or whatever it is and so on. You have to make a judgment call on that. Sometimes as a CEO or a manager or a president, you have to make, you know, you have to do performance evaluations. You have to make a judgment call on who's coming into your company and so on. So I get that. Now here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes when a person is important and they judge in the realm that they normally live in and have to work in each day, they, they've got this narrow section that they have to judge in, but they bring the importance and the self-importance uh, out of that section, and they bring it around, and they think, well, you know, I'm an important person, so it's okay for me to judge other people. I mean, after all, that's what people ask me to do. And you can actually get to the point where you think you're a little G-God. Remember, we talked about the God of me, and there are people, and the problem is that the more power you have and the more you do this, the bigger that you, I, you, that you actually think you are. Now, take, here's an example, okay, and I don't want to offend anybody with this, but take Donald Trump as, a, as an example. Now, whatever you think of his politics, before he went into office, he had this reality TV show called The Apprentice, okay, and his role was basically to look at people and their work and to evaluate them, and then, of course, there's the chronic, you know, or the classic, you're fired, okay? Now, does it make sense of his reaction, you know, you know, in all the headlines and all the junk that went on, when people in the United States basically said to him, you're fired. We're going to bring somebody else in. Most people, and here's the deal, most people who know how to hand out the judgment and hand out the criticism, they don't know how to take it. (laughs) They don't know how to take it at all. Now, this, what Jesus says here is a warning. And it's basically about using discernment not judging. Uh, It's not a command to check our brains at the door. I mean, if you have kids and you have to bring somebody in who's a babysitter, there are some people who should not babysit your kids, okay? You know that. Uh, You go in and, you know, to a store and you can look at two different models of lawnmowers or whatever it is you're, you're getting, and you have to decide. You have to use discernment to figure out which one is going to give you the better service, which is going to last longer. There are some people that you shouldn't let date your daughter because you'll be sorry that you did. There's some people that you shouldn't let manage your money. So you do have to, he's not saying check your brain at the door. What he's saying is use the discernment, don't twist it into judging other people. And Jesus' guideline here, if you read on, is if you want to help other people, you've got to check your heart. You've got to figure out what's really going on there. That's why he says, and if you read on in this passage, he says, you know, if you're going to go picking specks out of other people's eyes, little pieces of sawdust, he says, you better check the lumber yard that's in your own eye. Like, if you think that you're called to go and peck, uh, pick specks out of people's eyes, you know, what is, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And when it gets into our motives, that's where sometimes it really gets messy because of the fact that we're basically doing it because we like to do it rather than helping a person. 
So here's, here's the call on this. Judgment, knowing the facts without discernment, is dangerous. And it's also destructive. Now, one of the things that we are called to do, according to the Bible, is if we see somebody, you know, who's heading toward a cliff, like they're going to make a decision that's going to wreck their lives, you know, then we, we need to warn them about it. But it comes down to what, what it is that's going on down inside us. Jesus warned us about using words carelessly, and he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, okay? And that's a possibility. You bring good up, you bring good up to help people, you know, with what they're struggling with, whatever, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, listen to this, that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. Anybody here ever spoken any empty words, you know, except for me? We all have, right? He says this, you know, sometimes we just say, well, it's just words. It's no big deal, you know, they'll forget it. For, why you're, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. There's a day of judgment. Jesus is the judge. And he said... Don't judge other people. And I think on that day, there are going to be some of us who have to basically give an account for why we just blew off what he said, and we went ahead and did it anyways. Criticized them, tore them down, and so on. Now, again, sometimes, you know, people will, you know, they, they like this phrase, and they'll say, well, nah, 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 nah. don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. But sometimes we need to. Again, if we see somebody that we love and they're going off a cliff someplace, then we need to have the guts to say something to them, okay? Now, people who know me well uh, would say uh, that I'm not all that good at confronting people. And as I thought about that, I realized it's not because I'm such a kind and wonderful person and so on. It's because I'm worried about what other people will think of me. And that's just selfish. Sometimes we need to set ourselves aside and we need to warn somebody that we love. Let me just step into something really messy here, Okay. Some parents, you know, want so badly for their kids to like them, you know, and, and have them as their big buddy dad or big buddy mom, you know, and stuff like that, that they don't stop bad behavior. And if you don't stop bad behavior with your kids, then what happens is other people don't like them. Other people don't want them around because they're out of control. And I'll tell you, kids have enough disadvantages in our world without loading that onto them. We live in a world system that basically says, well, if you think it's okay, you know, you know, qualified by if it's legal, then just go ahead and do it. Well, there's lots of things in life that are legal. You know, cigarettes are legal. Booze is legal. You know, fatty foods are legal. You know, being a critical person is legal. But they're lethal in terms of sometimes your health and sometimes your relational world. Now, here's the point. Love doesn't let other people destroy themselves without even giving off a warning. So let's just Keep that in mind as we go along. This Again, this is another one of my marvelous drawings here. Love doesn't judge recreationally. You know, just going out and throwing it out there because it makes you feel better or makes you look big. It doesn't let other people self-destruct. And love knows the difference. Love knows the difference between the two. Now, let me get right down into kind of the messy uh, part of this message. And it's something that you need to hear. It's something that I wish that somebody had told me uh, years ago, okay? Let me put it like this. 
Let's say that this little chair here, let's say this big chair here is the judge's chair. And this is the big cushy chair and so on. And from this chair, you know, you judge the people, you tell them where they ought to do and tell them where they ought to go and, and so on. You're the judge. You're Judge Judy up here. And you're telling people that they're idiots and whatever it is that you tell people when you're in the judge's chair. This little chair here, let's say that this is the defendant's chair because when you're in the defendant's chair, when you're being judged, it makes you feel really small, it makes you feel insignificant, it makes you feel defensive because you're in this little space and you got this person who's sitting here in this big chair and they're judging you. Now, it's dangerous to sit in this chair where you're judged for a very long time. And I'll tell you why. It's because of the fact that over time, if you just sit there in this chair, it'll change how you act because you'll be trying to conform your, you know, what you do to other people, and it changes many times how you feel about yourself, and sometimes it really works on your soul. It can destroy how you see God. Now, before you're the one, you know, let's say you're the one sitting in the defendant's chair, and you're being unfairly judged by other people, I mean, what do you do? Because you're in the chair. Other people are making calls on you. At some point, if you're not already sitting here or if you've never sat here, you will sit here because every person on the face of the planet does. And it will likely be you know, somebody judging you that you already know, somebody that you're in a relationship with. And they'll you know, visit your home and you're too rich or you're too poor or you're not good enough for their son or their daughter or the way you're raising their kids isn't the way you know, that... that you ought to be raising your, you know, your kids, and mommy and daddy-in-law know better than that, and so on. Or you're judged by the color of your skin, or you're judged by the texture of your hair. You're judged by your waistline or by your hairline. You'd be judged by how you were raised, whether you were raised privileged and you don't understand, or you were raised you know, underprivileged. You're too masculine. You're, you're too feminine. You're too aggressive. You're too, you know, you're too positive. You're too, you know, you're not smart enough or you're too smart or you're too smart or you think you're too smart or you're too confident or you're too arrogant or you're too insecure because there's always going to be somebody who's going to have a judgment call on you and sometimes it's going to be the other person that you're in a relationship with in your life, other people. At some point, you're going to be unfairly judged. And you're going to be unfairly evaluated. You know, and you want to get up and tell your story and tell why it is that you did what you did and, and why you are like you are. But even if you could, you see, people don't want to hear it. And you will sit in this seat and you will be unfairly judged. Sometimes you'll get accused of, of doing something illegal at work and you'll know you're innocent. You'll know that somebody else is kind of making you out to be the scapegoat you know, for the company. And you won't have a chance to stand up, you know, in some office, you know, with, with a big desk in it or a big, you know, circular table in it and state your case. You won't get the chance to do that. And it affects your reputation and it affects your income and your standing in the community. Your whole family feels the effect of what's happened to you. What do you do when people accuse you of being too spiritual or being, not being spiritual enough? Or, you know, Bible thumping, you know, because you talk about God. Or being an agnostic because you don't talk about Him enough, you know. What about when people unfairly accuse you of being immoral when you aren't? Or not moral enough? Or you drink too much? Or you don't drink at all? And I'll tell you, on and on and on it goes. And when you sit in this seat and you get judged or prejudged, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to that? Because if you, if you sit here too long, as I mentioned, it begins to affect your behavior. It begins to affect how you see yourself. And, 
and the choice that you have when you're there is whether you respond or whether you react. And your temptation, the strongest temptation inside, is going to be react, to react to it. Let me just give you a couple personal examples. Some of them you know. You know, when I was 11 years old, I visited my friend Steve's grandparents' farm. So we went out there, and his uncle asked me if I wanted to ride on the tractor. And I said, sure, you know, I'm 11 years old. I like tractors, you know. So I climbed up on the tractor, and Steve's uncle said four and a half words that I never forgot. Boy, you've got big legs. You've got big legs. And I'm telling you, that rang through my head every time I looked in a mirror. Big legs. You go into high school, you know, when you're, you know, and when you're, image, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade, whatever it is, you know, and it's like really bad anyways, you know, and you're walking down the hall, and instead of just feeling normal, it's like, here comes big legs, thunder thighs, you know, buildings are losing people, you know, pieces of brick, you know, children are running for cover, you know, and the question that I didn't ask was, is it true, or is it just a label? move ahead, you know, a number more years. I think I've told you about this one, too. It was a year in the ministry, you know, when I got this nine-page letter from the senior pastor I work with. So Lori's in the hospital. She's getting surgery, you know, and he sends me this big, long letter, plops it on my desk, and so on. And the essence of this whole letter was that I wasn't a leader, you know, that I wasn't working enough hours, that I, I really, you know, didn't have what it took to be a pastor, you know. Now, I respected him, and I still do, but I'm telling you that went right into my soul. And the defense team, my word, they jumped into action. You know, if the glove does not fit, you must acquit. You know, Ken's running the youth ministry and the Christian education and evangelism, small groups and visiting people and, and you know, and working, you know, on, on a seminary degree, you know. And, and do you know how many hours he's worked a week? Do you realize that he's only, you know, hasn't worked less than 49 hours? And it went on and on and on. And I'm telling you, something happened in my heart that day. And I was hurt and I was angry, and I was resentful, and I was defensive, okay? Something in me said, I will prove that I am called of God to do what I'm doing. I will prove that I am worthy of this job. And I'll tell you, I went into overdrive. And, you know, overdrive led me into workaholism and stole time from Lori and my kids, and it was about me proving, you know, that my worth so there, look, I'm, I'm worth what you're paying me. It almost blew up my marriage. See, whenever anybody's told us that there's a deficit in our lives, that there's a pothole in our lives, we will kill ourselves trying to fill the pothole, trying to even things up. And here's what you need to remember. And I wrote it down here because I want you to remember this. This is so important. And this isn't mine, this isn't original with me. I read it from Andy Stanley, okay, some of his writings. It's difficult to not give the people who judge you power over you. And that's what happens when you go into defensive mode. I just want you to imagine Jesus, you know, getting all defensive. And we talked about him and what he went through and, and how he had done these miracles and he was judged and judged and judged. So he's on trial for his life, okay? And in the middle of this trial, you know, he stands up in front of Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin yelling, this trial is illegal. You know it. You knew it when you brought me in here. And you're not here to find the truth. You're here to condemn me as a criminal, and you plan to execute me anyways. You don't care about justice. You don't care about holiness. You don't care about God. You're a bunch of hypocrites, and you're here to protect your money and your position, and you're standing with your people. And God will destroy you for what you've done to me. I'm God. I know what I'm talking about. 
Well, it'll all be true, okay? But Jesus didn't say a word. Not one. So he gets dragged in before Herod, and Herod's been thinking, ooh, I've been waiting to get this guy in here. Like I want him to walk across my swimming pool. You know, remember Jesus Christ, superstar, you know? I want him to do some magical trick, you know, and, and dazzle me with it. Jesus didn't say a word, and he was frustrated with him. So he puts a robe on him, sends him back to Pilate. Jesus gets before Pilate, and, and Pilate says to him, he says, don't you hear all these accusations? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus didn't say a word. In fact, if he did anything, he reached out to Pilate. He's on the cross, and people were mocking him and flogging him with their words and hating him. And he didn't berate them. He didn't tear them down. He spoke to his father. And then he reached out to John and asked him if he would take care of his mother. And then he spoke to the thief on the cross next door. See, Jesus was God, and he had an infinite amount of relational intelligence and wisdom. No, I'm not God. Neither are you, okay? But that means that we don't want to give the wrong people power over us, you know, and if we don't want that to happen, we're going to have to think very carefully about how we respond instead of reacting to judgment. And if we don't, we will react. We will react. And I'll tell you why. You may, you know, wind up like me doing things that hurt you, hurt your health, hurt your relational world, and so on, because people can't control their mouth, because people need to judge. Sometimes we just do it recreationally. We just throw words out there and don't even think about them. When I was in Pennsylvania, there was a girl in our church who almost killed herself, you know, with anorexia and nervosa because of a careless, you know, comment that her dad made about her weight. He didn't know he was doing it. She sure did. She thought about it every time she looked in the mirror. How you think about yourself and who you are and what you're like is such a sensitive thing that you cannot sit in the seat, the little seat of the accused, the judged, you know, the defendant, without it affecting you. And then when it affects you, it affects other people, just like my workaholism affected my family. It's going to happen. And that's why Jesus would say clearly, don't judge or you'll be judged by the same standard. He warns us about that. So again, what do you do? I mean, do you abandon who you are so that the person who's been judging you and saying stuff about you, you know, that they can feel smug and think to themselves, well, I was right after all. I mean, is that what you do? Do you just pretend, you know, that what they've said doesn't bother you at all? You know, you've got thick skin and you can just, you know, be real stoic about it? Because the alternative to that, you see, is stuffing all, this, all these angry, hurt feelings down inside. And after a while, you know, they're saying, you know, hey, banging on the inside. We don't like it down here. It's dark down here. Let us out. And some bad stuff can happen. So what do you do? Go on the attack? I mean, you know, just go into this little prison that you create for yourself and just stay angry and bitter? Some people do that. The context of this series has been the record of the last year of Jesus' life. So he got judged. I mean, he had a perfect, he was a perfect life, lived a perfect life, and for the entire three-year ministry that he had, he was misjudged relentlessly. People said all kinds of stuff about him. He was called a drunkard. He was called a blasphemer. He was called a false prophet. He was called a fake. He was called demon-possessed. I mean, you name it, and he was called it. So what did he do? When he hung on the cross, you know, the judgment just kept coming in the form of hatred. You know, he's still being flogged with all this stuff. People spitting on him, you know, saying, do another miracle. Get off the cross. What did he do? Well, I think you know the answer, but let me just read it for you, okay? 
When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to a cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You get it, right? Jesus did what he asked us to do. Right at the very beginning of his ministry, he said, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, this is what he did, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you forgive those who sin against you, your Father, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know what the immediate reaction that many people have to that is? You've got to be kidding. Forgive them? These people, these scumbuckets that judge me? He said, come on, Ken, you're talking about an ideal situation. You're talking about super Christian, you know? You don't work with my dad. You know, you don't work with my sister. You don't know my mother-in-law. But here's the idea. If you're sitting in the chair of being judged, I'm telling you, that is about your best option for any kind of victory under these kinds of circumstances. If there's any chance of you having some kind of a positive outcome in your life under those circumstances, it's, you know, you're going to need some anti-venom, and that's what forgiveness is, anti-venom. Jesus didn't forgive, you know, because, well, he was Jesus, you know, and, and, and everybody and all knew that, you know, everybody knew that he was going to be writing, somebody's going to be writing down this story and so on, and he wanted people to say good things about him. He didn't do it because of that. He did it because it was right. He did it because there was a soldier at the base of his cross who saw how he died and saw how he took the public flogging that he took and said when it was all done, I believe. He did it for the little band of followers who watched from a distance who would also be judged and also be accused and would have to forgive people who misused their lives. Forgiveness is the only way out of this seat. And if you don't get out of that seat, you'll sit there for the rest of your life. You may be thinking, come on, Ken, like this isn't a one-time thing. This happens every time the in-laws come to the house. They're judging me because we have so much. Or my friends judge me because we have so little. They're judging me because I don't provide well enough for their daughter or for their kids. You know, My kids' clothes don't come from good stores. They're judging me because I'm not successful enough. They're judging me because I don't push my kids enough you know, into getting good grades. Or it's because I go to the wrong church. Or it's because I go to church in the first place. And it's just ongoing. Yes. And forgiveness is the only way out. Forgiveness is the only way out. Because if you don't forgive them, you will give them power over your life. And I'm telling you, that stuff will go down inside you and it will rot. Forgiveness always starts with a choice. I'll tell you, it doesn't start with feelings, you know, where one day, you know, you, people have been loading all this judgment on you. said, oh, today I just feel like forgiving them. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Somewhere in eternity past, God saw that those that he loved and he had created were exchanged truth about him for a lie, and they would resent him instead of returning his love. And at that time, he chose to forgive. Whenever that was in eternity past, he knew he was going to send his son Jesus to a cross, and he was going to forgive our sins because that was the only way of redemption for them. That was the only way for him to get all this stuff out of his heart. That was the only way back to relational wholeness. I kept that nine-page letter that was sent to me in a file, and I thought about it every time I walked into my office. I knew it was in that file. 
And we really struggle with forgiveness. And I'm telling you, you know what actually was the point that actually helped me to be able to let that go? And that's to get that letter. I don't know what I was saving it for, okay? But I got that letter out of the file and I ripped it up and I threw it away. And I said, God, this is what I want to do with all this bitterness that's built up inside me. Didn't happen right away. But God gives us the power to forgive. You may be thinking to yourself, hey, forgiving them isn't going to do one bit of good for them. They're not going to change. But that's not the point. The forgiveness is about you. The forgiveness is for your good, no matter what happens to them. And sometimes I think about that question that Jesus asked the guy at the pool of Siloam, where he said to him, he says, do you, do you want to get well? And maybe that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do you want to get well? Or are you more anxious to get revenge? In closing this morning, I want to talk pretty candidly about judging and criticizing. First, I'm telling you this. Please hear me on this. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to renounce this officially because that's what we're known for. You know? Of all people, we ought to know what it's like to not be judged when we should be judged. It's called grace. That's what God does. Grace is the most beautiful and fragrant and desirable thing in the universe. And I'm telling you, it would be a tragedy to receive all this grace from God and never give it out to other people. It's not just a tragedy. According to Jesus, it's wrong. You know, we live in a COVID-patrolled world, you know, where the COVID police, the shame police are out, you know, to judge you if you're not doing things right and stuff like this, you know. And there is this part of us that wants to feel superior, that wants us to feel cleaner, that wants to feel better than other people. And it will always be there. And we have to renounce that. Especially if we sing songs about amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I mean, this isn't just theory, you know. Grace is intended to be carried into every place that we go, into our homes, into our in-laws, into family members, where we work, into the homes of our siblings. Now, here's the problem with me even saying that, okay? I have judged and criticized, and so have you, and I struggle with it. Again, you have to ask the question, why do we love to judge when Jesus told us not to do it? This is about pride. And pride, I'm telling you, is one of the sneakiest things in our lives. And that's why we have to call it out for what it is. You know, we judge because we truly think, you know, that our ways are better than other people's ways and that our, the way we think is higher and, and more intelligent. You know, God had something to say about that, you know. In Isaiah chapter 55, he says this, he says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's his prerogative because he's God. I am not God. And sometimes it's helpful to look in the mirror and say, there is a God and it's not me. There is a judge in this universe and it's not me. So let's just call it out in all of its ugliness, okay? The only way to deal with this stuff, you know, you know, is to call it what it is, which is sin, and to humble ourselves before God. See, we get a choice. We either humble ourselves before God or, you know, what he does to people who won't humble themselves, he has to humble them. It's a lot easier to humble yourself, okay, than to be humbled. And to be honest, you know, in our world, judging is a form of kind of relational cancer. See, you know, sometimes we say stuff because we can. 
You can, you know, you may have a son-in-law and you think, oh, he's good, but he would be better if he did this. And so, you know, you go after him. And you can say stuff to him. You can say stuff to your daughter-in-law. You can say stuff to your neighbors. You can say this stuff, okay? But the problem is that if you're unfairly judging them and you're saying it basically because it feels good to say it, you're going to do damage to that relationship and that damage may never be repaired. And someday when you're old and you want to see your grandkids or you want to see somebody else and and you have damaged that relationship because you just wanted to judge, because you wanted to say and needed to say what you wanted to say, it's not going to be there. Now you can go back. And if you've done this, you can go back and say, you know what? What I did was wrong. It was judgmental. And it was proud. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And likely they will forgive you, but I'm telling you, a lot of times we're just not willing to do that. We've judged other people, you know, and we think, well, I'm right. Well, so what if you are? God's right too, but he doesn't step on us. You can't erase the critical words from, you know, from the living record that these people carry in your lives. So here's the final deal, okay? You will get, if you're judged... You will get locked into a prison of hate unless you do something about that. And the only key to that prison is forgiveness. That's the way Jesus set it up. Message of Easter that we've just talked about is that Jesus went to this horrible, smelly, bloody, shameful place so that we could be forgiven. And he didn't just go there so that we could be forgiven, but he went there so that we would have the power to forgive. And forgiveness is what frees us from the prison of being judged. Will you let the defense rest? Will you let it go? Will you forgive? And will you find the power and the grace that forgiveness will bring to your soul? Let's pray. God, being judged is hard. You know what that's like because you were there and your son Jesus Christ, people said horrible things about him and he forgave them. That's a high calling. You're God and you're a professional at forgiving. We're not. We're amateurs and we need your help and sometimes where we need your help the most is just choosing to actually do it and get out of prison. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to find that grace this morning for those painful, painful parts of our lives. Let the defense rest. Amen.